from the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It's the Craig Needles Podcast here at ClassicRock981.com on the Newstoday.ca doing the unusual Thursday episode. I'm actually off tomorrow. I'm going to be uh, helping out the London Home Builders Association with the charity soccer tournament they're doing, so I'm looking forward to doing that. So I'm not in, so we're not doing roundtables. So that means let's have a conversation about something uh, that I think is very important that is being discussed at London City Hall right now, and it was talked about at, uh, at SPPC this week, and that is the City of London's climate plan. And as of now, we are off target when it comes to getting to net zero emissions by 2050. How did we get off target? Why are we in a worse off position now than we were 365 days ago? I have some ideas there. Uh, let's talk with Councillor Skylar Frank about that, who joins us here in the studio to have that conversation. Hello, Skylar. Thank you for being here. Happy to be here and talking about climate change. Uh, so first, we're in a worse off position now than we were a year ago. I, I think at least some of that would be we're doing more driving now in our... I know that people don't like when you use this phrasing, post-pandemic world. I think for a lot of us, we're post-pandemic. I know that not everybody, but anyway, uh, is that sort of, is that something staff uh, highlighted or at least underlined here as far as what might be different now compared to a year, a year ago? For sure, yeah. They did highlight that um, post-pandemic, using that language. Yeah. Um, people are back to their usual behaviors, and a lot of that is driving. Um, you know, driving to soccer and hockey, and maybe that was canceled during the pandemic. So we see those emissions go up, but we also are seeing our emissions go up because the province is investing more money into using natural gas to uh, power our electrical grid. So when people, you know, are plugging in the fridge, turning on the lights, um, before we had about 93% of that was clean. Um, so nuclear, um, have say what you will about nuclear, but then also um, hydroelectricity and, and that kind of energy. But the province is putting more and more money into natural gas to do electricity. That's somewhat ironic when I think about someone charging their electric vehicle. With Correct. Natural, uh, yeah, you're like it's not. That, it, that shouldn't be. It's not emission free. No, no, no. no. Okay, well, that's that's. We can maybe get to that in a second. So the plan says we want to be at a certain level as we work towards getting to net zero by 2050. We're not that at that level. In fact, we are trending away from that level. How do we get back to where we want to be in your estimation? Sure. I think we need to tackle our biggest contributors. So number one is cars and number two is household emissions. And I think in order to get people biking, walking and busing, we have to provide real alternatives that will get people to work, to school, to soccer practice in a reasonable amount of time. And to do that, we have to make investments in cycling infrastructure, buses, um, making sure places are safe to walk. Um, So I think we need to be doing that as a city and that will hopefully get people out of their car. And, and taking a more enjoyable way to to commute. Yeah, and I've talked about this in the podcast before. My way of commuting is walking. And, you know, sometimes it's 30 degrees and it's a little bit warm. But for the most part, I think it's a pretty relaxing part of my day. Now, I understand that I'm in a privileged position. I live very close to where my office is. about a half hour walk. That's good. So not everyone can do that. But I think having more options besides just taking your car, parking it, and then driving your car back home is, is, is what we need to be looking at here. Absolutely. And we can do that in two ways as well. So not only investing in infrastructure, but making sure people have places to live downtown, so increase our density, um, as well as if people are living in the burbs, then they need to be able to walk to a community center, to a grocery store. So we have to make complete communities. So as we continue to develop our, our uh, city and meet our needs for housing, we have to do it responsibly and intelligently. And that's either doing complete communities or densifying in core areas. 
and I'm I'm a big proponent of densifying core areas, as, as everyone knows. That's something that I have uh, argued for many, many times. So we, we see right now, as on my aforementioned walk to work, I pass by three buildings with cranes in the sky where I can see the cranes. Uh, there's a fourth one that's not too far off my route. That's good. Uh, how do we get more of those? Yeah, I mean, and I'm all for tall buildings, but I also am talking about as well density, the missing middle. The missing middle. Yes. I'm all about it. It's yeah. easier to service. It's cheaper. Um, so I'm hoping to see more and more people do uh, additional residential units. So you know, making their house of another unit within the house or building one in the backyard, um, as well as having more infill, like you know, ten townhouses on mm. a one one home vacant lot. I think that's great. I think it's a good use of space, and we need more of that. I, I can't think of any examples of that. Me neither. Uh, <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> that, that speech would be million dollar homes only. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that there's a, a, a lot to be said for that. So you mentioned the transit element of this. Uh, I know that we're working on, you know, getting a fleet to electric. I think that's a good idea for a variety of reasons, although we did just talk about the electric thing and maybe the province. Uh, there, there's been some bad provincial decisions when it comes to uh, managing some of the stuff we've talked about today. That would be one of them. Uh so we're working on the the transit aspect of this. What do you think needs to happen next from the transit aspect of this? Because, uh, look, this the system right now just is not good enough to convince people that, hey, I'm going to leave my car at home. Some people, yes, but a lot of people, no. How do we make the system good enough to do that? For sure. Well, and I'm lucky, as you said earlier, I'm blessed enough to be able to take one bus to get downtown. Right. That's wonderful. And it comes probably a two-minute walk from my house, drops me off right downtown. So I think in, in order for people to, again, actually use transit, they have to be able to walk a short distance, get on a bus, ideally have one bus, and ideally it not take more time to drive um, or more time to take the bus than when to drive. Like it needs to be comparable to driving. And in order to do that, again, we need the density because we have to make sure that the system works. And the only way it can work is if, you know, the bus is at least half full, if not right. full. Um, and I am very excited to see BRT will be done next year. So we'll see our, our east and our south links um, done, fingers crossed. Um, and we'll be able to see the results of that. And I think, again, having regular buses, you know, you could stand somewhere and every five or ten minutes a bus will show up. That is realistic for people to take the bus. It's not realistic. Somebody misses a bus, they have to wait an hour. They're going to Uber. Yeah. So it's done. So we need to be able to – people need to rely on it, get on it, get where they need to go in a reasonable amount of time. And – that's easier said than done. Uh, so there's going to be conversations about do we need more buses and do the buses go out to the industrial areas? It's 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 a problem. And, and I'll be honest, I think we've fallen behind on this through many, many years of letting the system kind of stagnate. Yeah, exactly. So that means it's really hard to catch up. Yes. And I do give LTC credit. They went mm -hmm. through the pandemic. It was really tough. They kept the lights on. They kept it running. Um, but I think as we're coming out of the pandemic and as we are seeing people go back to their usual activities... Again, we need them to be able to hop on the bus if they need that or take a bike or, or walk. One of those three, ideally, is uh, their preferred option. Yeah. And that that's just the way that it's going to have to be because, for starters, I think we you need to have a situation where there's less parking in the downtown core because <gasps> we're going yes. to have to build stuff where parking lots are. I love so that. So I like that too. Yeah. So that means if there's less parking in the core, people are going to have to get to things downtown ways other than driving their car. Yep. So a lot of that's going to be, you already live here because we're building housing. So therefore you don't need to bring your car so you can just walk. But there's going to have to be other ways to get here other than bringing your car as we've seen in many other cities. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head. We need to make um, like driving around downtown or maybe driving 
driving to wherever there's someone's trying to go. We also need to disincentive that. So while we're trying to make like remove all barriers, mm-hmm. make it easy to to do an active commute, we also need to not offer free parking everywhere. Because for example, if I drive downtown and I know I have free two-hour honk promo code parking. I'm going to park downtown. I'm going to be incentivized. If I know I have to pay $5.75 to park for two hours, I might take the bus. Yeah. You know, it was always cheaper. It's what it was it now, 275 to take yeah. the bus. Like, okay, I'm, I am financially motivated like many other people. And if I'm going to save money, I'm going to be motivated to make a different decision. Yeah. No, so I, I, I agree with that. And I, 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 I struggle with where we're at on the, on the parking lot thing. I know we're talking about building a garage and if we build a garage, honestly, I'm not necessarily opposed to that. But that's got to mean that we stop approving downtown parking lots. I would love to stop approving downtown yeah. parking lots. I would like to see no new downtown parking lots, no extensions, nothing. Parking is a waste of space, especially in our core. So I want to see that either used for a park, a community center, or a residential building, or commercial, though apparently we have a lot of that that's sitting vacant. There's a lot of extra commercial spice <laughs> right now. And we'll maybe talk about that in a sec. But yeah, I don't know if we necessarily need commercial, or at the very yeah. least, uh, office space. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that we do need first level commercial space. Yes, always. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Maybe a, a grocery store. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> what an idea. Yeah. I know I say that as I'm about a six minute walk from a grocery store, not Fair. even, but uh, uh, I'm on the, we're at the very, very, very edge of downtown as we sit right now. Yeah. Uh, I know that there's going to be people listening and some people who you work with at city council that will say, hey, look, London, Ontario is a city of 400,000 people. What we do here is not going to have a very big impact on what is going on Ontario-wide, Canada-wide, globally. What would your response to that be? I find that to be an incredibly disappointing and disenfranchised perspective. Um, I think that everyone needs to be doing their fair share in addressing climate change. And I think that, you know, if all of a sudden London stopped doing anything, Guelph stopped doing anything, Toronto, Ottawa... Mm -hmm. Like, what's the point in that? We need to be making those changes. Um, We need to be showing leadership. And all of the things that I talk about actually have a positive financial benefit. They grow our economy. um, They make our space more livable. So I don't see what the harm is in trying to build a better city that reduces our emissions. So um, I found that somewhat frustrating, but I also was wondering if um, someone was just scrolling through the Conservative Party website while they were on Zoom (laughs) um, and just kind of reading verbatim their talking points because I've heard that a lot from specific uh, people in the community. I don't understand it from two perspectives. One, uh, like you said, everyone's got to be doing their part. Two, I think it's very hard then. So we talk about some decisions that the province has made for this that I think are bad. I think taking away bonusing options from, from council is a bad, a bad policy decision by the provincial government. I think some of the stuff surrounding natural gas, we're discussing bad policy decision by the provincial government. I think it's harder for you or your colleagues to say, hey, you've made a bad policy decision here when it comes to our climate change concerns. Well, the city of London does nothing. Mm-hmm. I think that just that that puts you in a very difficult position and almost a hip, hypocritical position. So you've got to be doing your things in order to call everyone out if they're not doing their things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think then if you use that logic, you apply to anything, you know, like, I don't know, hypothetically, Chum Kent's not building enough housing. So why should we build housing? Right. Who cares? So you could use that for literally anything. And I don't think that necessarily it's a good argument. I, I think, again, fair share. I think we need to be looking at ourselves, doing what we can to reduce our emissions. Um, but I think that um, it doesn't make sense to throw up our hands and give up, you know. Mm-hmm. And like I said, all of these things have benefits. For every dollar we spend in climate adaptation today, we save 13 to $15 in disaster mitigation in the future. So I'm saving taxpayers of the future money. Yeah. 
Yeah, I uh, I think that uh, my kids will appreciate that money off their property taxes. Exactly. And hopefully they have somewhere livable to live. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe not with me. Uh, <laughs> but you never know how things are going to go when it comes to the housing market. Uh, they might have to get comfortable in the bedrooms they're in now. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that there's definitely a big portion of pay now or pay more later. Mm-hmm. And that has to be discussed here. And... A lot of this isn't even necessarily pay now. Some of this stuff is just things that are not necessarily super expensive, but can have a positive long-term outlook, i.e. if we're going to be tearing up a road and redoing it anyway, adding a bike lane is not super expensive. Exactly. It's not like a big cost. Yes, correct. And that's what part of my motion was to um, any fleet or facilities, anything that's coming to us that the city owns, Mm -hmm. if we're going to touch it now, like let's say the Budweiser Gardens, if we're going to be making almost a $30 million investment in it, we're not going to touch it again for 20 to 30 years. And so if we're trying to get to net zero and meet our targets, it's going to have to be looked at now. So I want anything that is coming to council in the next four years, um, any major investments in renovations, rehabilitations, um, they need to be considering. And, you know, I'm not saying you have to jump 100% to net zero, but what improvements are you going to make that are going to reduce your emissions and save you operating money? Well, every time we, even if it doesn't get you to net, like Budweiser Gardens is probably never going to be net zero in our lifetimes. But every, if, but if you get, you don't think so? Well, I was at the FCM conference yeah. and there is somebody who does net zero arenas that okay. renovate. So I'm, I'm interested in the technology that's available. Okay. That's interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. I just thought that a building built in 2000 may not necessarily get there, but hey, maybe yeah, it will. Yeah. But I think for the sake of how close can we get to zero is definitely a worthwhile conversation, even if the answer is not zero. Exactly. And with net zero, like not everything will be, like you said, zero carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. Some things will produce a little bit, but then we offset it by planting trees and and having natural heritage areas uh, protected. So um, again, I'm not expecting everything tomorrow mm-hmm. at the blink of an eye to be net zero. And it would be wasteful. Like that's why when we look at our asset management planning, when it comes up for renewal in the life cycle, that's when we change. I'm not saying things we put in, like, you know, you put a new air conditioner in last year, rip it out and let's put a new one in. No, that's wasteful. Let's wait till it's at the end of its life and then replace it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that most people would be on on board with that or at least replace it with something obviously that uh, maybe is a little less less energy draining. Uh, Something you said at the meeting the other day was uh, it kind of looks like we're throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what will stick. So and, and hoping that our emissions get removed. I wonder if there's a more scientific way that we are working on making those reductions. So that's what you said at the meeting. What what sort of response and answers did you get on, is there a more scientific way to keep mm-hmm. track of this as opposed to just hopefully we get to zero? Um, so we do, I will give credit to the staff. We do every year do a scientific um, calculation of how much emissions we have, both from corporate assets and then from the community's perspective. Um, so we do have that annual number. But essentially, in the 12 months between each update, we're trying to do a bunch of different things. We have over 200 actions on the Climate Emergency Action Plan. Um, and again, for me, I can't visibly see, you know, if we phase out all gas-powered lawn equipment. How is that going to drop our emissions by 2%, 1%, 0.05%? Like I have no understanding. So then it's hard for me to advocate and champion certain investments because I don't know what's going to have the biggest bang for our buck. Again, we know driving is number one source and then household um, heating and cooling and uh, hot water. But like, you know, so then should we be spending all of our money trying to get people out of their cars because that's our biggest source of emissions? But how much does each thing cost? I, I just find it very hard to understand. Um, and I come from the environmental sector. Mm-hmm. So in order to be able to to advocate, I think that's what I was kind of asking for is is right. what what is our 
you know, no more low-hanging fruit. We, as Mr. Stanford said, we've gone to all the low-hanging fruit. Everything is switched over to LEDs. You know, we've mm-hmm. we've made all those changes that we can. So now we're going to have some big ticket items. And, you know, are those going to have big reductions? So you're talking about hypothetically uh, the city of London lawnmowers making those all the electric rechargeable ones, essentially. Yeah. And I don't and, know if that's a big emission. We don't emission. know what the cost would be, yeah. how what the emissions yeah. would be. So you want to figure what the, the, yeah. figure out the numbers and, and adjust accordingly. Exactly. And I think, again, with those, we'd probably do a phase out where as people's lawn equipment, you know, deteriorates and they replace it, which, again, if you've heard um, some of the discussion, Deputy Mayor Lewis has said, like, he's gone to Home Depot and the, there's almost no gas-powered option available to buy. So the market is kind of correcting, but sometimes the market doesn't uh, have a full stop. Sometimes it will always just allow for something if someone will buy it. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I I bought a lawnmower, an electric one, uh, two summers ago. And I I knew I didn't want to get gas just because I don't like the idea of going to buy gas for that particular chore. It's expensive. Um, But yeah, they're just the the, the number of gas options as far as what you can go to Home Depot and get are are, are pretty limited. So Mm -hmm. I would suspect that when it comes to what the city of London is purchasing for their own lawnmowers and what uh, uh, residents in the city of London are purchasing, the options are becoming more and more limited as far as whether you're getting a gas one. Yeah, exactly. And again, part of my motion, I had a separate motion Mm -hmm. on Tuesday night about the budget. One of them was to reduce grass cutting and replace uh, areas in the city with pollinator plants, trees, you know, there's lots of park area that no one sits at. It's not used. There's not, it's not a soccer field. Mm-hmm. Um, so why are we just mowing grass continually at this location? Um, so that's another motion that I put And that's forward. saving staff uh, money as well, time and money. And it's, exactly. So if, if no one's going to be there, why have grass and so forth? Yeah. So I'm, um, I already know that staff are working on that as well. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, that's a good thing. It's, uh, I think of, you know, a couple of different parks in the city where I've, uh, where I, or I spend some time and, you know, uh, there's obviously places where kids like to run around and have a good time and the grass is necessary for that. But then you look at some spots of the park and it's like, okay, no one's necessarily over there. So does this need to be grass? Could this instead be, you know, something that is not as requiring of management? Put it exactly. That way. Yeah. But, and I love there's some little, um, what are they called? Like uh, intersection grassy areas in um, the Kensington Village area mm-hmm. that the community, the members just ripped up the grass, put in a bunch of pollinator plants, put in some low shrubs so they don't do visibility issues. And it looks phenomenal. And there's like three or four of those little intersection islands that they've uh, completely converted in there. That's beautiful. Cool. Nice. Nice. I like that. Uh so what's next then? So we've had this conversation at SPPC. What's what's next as far as how we proceed with this from your perspective? I think the next biggest thing will be the multi-year budget, which is going to be coming up in December. And um, staff are going to be bringing forward a variety of different business cases. And I think this is where uh, the bike tire rubber is going to hit the road, not the car <laughs> rubber, um, because we're going to see what people are willing to invest in. And I think we need to be investing in things that we need, not want. And I think we need to have housing and we need to have a clean environment. Um, I, you know, and then I think there's going to be a lot of things that we want to have that are nice to have that are going to show up. And so I'll be interested to see what uh, other counselors are, are prioritizing. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be an interesting time because we're also in a situation where there's going to be a lot of desire to not increase property taxes. And I think that that is a very legitimate thing to not want to do. So budgets are going up because, you know, everything is getting more expensive. We're talking about inflation. At the same time, there's some stuff we need to do. At the same time, uh, we don't want to see property taxes go up significantly. And I understand that from the perspective of, I think property tax is the worst tax that we have of all the taxes. So how do we balance all those things? It's a tough gig. Oh, for sure. And I don't think any counselor wants to increase property tax. I think we all understand the crunch. I'm in a crunch, you know, Mm -hmm. like every household is in the city unless you're independently wealthy. 
Um, so at FCM, uh, the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, I was just at a conference this weekend, and one of the biggest um, ticket uh, discussion items was a fiscal framework for municipalities that's not relying on property tax. Um, because we, all municipalities, we all complain about it all weekend. So I think that is going to be a big deal, trying to advocate to the feds in the province that we need to change because it's not fair. The regressive policy is not fair for for municipalities and then as well for homeowners. And I think the second biggest thing will be a lot of things that I want to do will have reductions. So again, I had put on the floor um, no more uh, road widening, which um, we've seen like a couple of years ago, Wonderland Road got canceled and that saved $212 million. Mm-hmm. That is a saving. Yeah. And then we can use that $212 million that we were going to invest in that road into something else, bike infrastructure, housing, whatever. Um, so I want to kind of go over where can we make the savings? And again, free parking we're losing like hundreds of thousands of dollars by not charging parking. And again, parking is a nice to have. It's not an essential. It's not, it's a privilege. It's not um, a right. Mm-hmm. So I want to see where we can find savings and and that won't increase our property tax bill. Yeah, the, the that Wonderland one was essentially should have been a slam dunk for the perspective of uh, this $212 million will be useful for like a half an hour in the morning and a half an hour in the evening e- each day. Uh, Monday to Friday, hypothetically, maybe. If that. Not, if, you, if yeah, yeah, I understand that yeah. there, there, some people would say it will be useful for zero minutes. Yeah. But even like the people that were passionately arguing in favor of it would have to say, oh, yeah, no, it's going to be like maybe an hour total every day that this is useful. Yeah. Mm. If that. I, yeah. I would say um, I follow the belief that it would cause induced demand where right. you build it, they will come. So if you're not building bike infrastructure and busing and you're only building car infrastructure, People will buy cars. When I was canvassing, I chatted with a man who was in my ward going to Fanshawe. He's taking the bus. It took him like two hours every day. So he ended up Oof. buying a car because we didn't invest in the bus and we invested in in roads. And right. so we people make that shift based on what is convenient for them. And if we make it convenient for people to drive, more people will drive and therefore more people sit in traffic. Right. Yeah. I, so that there's $212 million that doesn't necessarily have to be spent. So are there any other road widening projects that you've already looked at and said, oh, I don't know if we need to do this? Like, is there anything that's 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 jumped to mind already that you've looked at sort of the next four years here? I need to go through it again. So mm-hmm. on Tuesday night, I had a motion. I actually withdrew it because we're going to be getting some more information um, about through the Master Mobility Plan mm-hmm. about where those kind of pinch points are. And staff have assured me they're not planning on doing road widening for the sake of road widening. They might widen a road to put in, you know, bike infrastructure and proper turning lanes. And that makes sense to me. I'm not a traffic engineer. So I feel like I want to, you know, follow what they're going to recommend. But I do want to look at it with a very fine tooth comb to make sure like, is this actually just for safety improvements? Or is it like a a way to get another lane? So more cars are just sitting kind of parked waiting for for um, traffic to move. So I don't have anything specific, but I'm going to be looking. Yeah. And, and I've, I think there's also some time for uh, road thinning. Uh, I, I had Councillor Lewis on the podcast a little while ago, and he was talking about some spots in his ward where instead of taking out trees to put sidewalks in, they just thin the road and put sidewalks in. I love when that happens. And mm-hmm. it, it works in certain areas and it doesn't. I asked that we were getting um, a sidewalk on uh, Baseline Road West in my ward. Mm-hmm. And I was like, can we just take up some of the road? Um, but we had buses running on it, so right. it wasn't it, a good candidate. But I love when when staff say for sure let's you know leave all the trees and just add a bit of sidewalk or or whatever infrastructure they have to add to it yeah i'd way rather take road than trees yeah so would i uh i I get why people get pissed off when you talk about hey let's get rid of the big tree in your front yard i completely understand why that it's awful yeah yeah it's not fun yeah uh so we've got sort of some plans here for the next little while like you said multi-year budget comes up in december uh 
what do you talk about? What do you look at? What do you think about between now and then as far as conversing with Londoners about this? Because there's going to have to be conversations with folks about, hey, what are you willing to do? And hey, what would you need the bus system to look like for you to take the bus or the bike infrastructure for, to look like for you to, to bike uh, going to work as opposed to what you're doing now? Yeah, I think staff are already planning to do those kinds of dialogues mm -hmm. with the Master Mobility Plan because um, I was already having a conversation with them and they're still working on it. So I think they're going to be going out to the community to say, you know, here are a couple different scenarios. What would work for you because they're going to be picking the, the modal split um, which I don't actually know what ours is currently but that, that's the breakdown of how many trips are taken by car by bike by bus by walking um, and they're going to be trying to change that to get in line with our, our target so they're already going to be going out to the community and saying you know exactly what you said how can we make sure that you would be willing to take more bus bike walk and how do we make that possible so I'm going to be having the same conversations with people in my ward I'm planning a town hall in the fall um, so I think you know summer's not great for community consultation no, you know, mostly in the fall yeah. um, but it's going to happen and it, uh, we are going to have to be making the changes but we have to make sure that people can actually do it what about bus rapid transit so you said that we're going to be online with uh three legs mm -hmm. uh, or two legs of that next year then downtown where you know what i'm now i'm thinking maybe i meant 2026 i'd have to look way. again yeah, so, in two yeah, years i yeah, think was yeah. what it was so we're, yeah. we're, we're getting there as a yeah. little story but of course there's going to be the questions and there were two legs that were rejected by the previous council i understand why they did didn't want to do the north leg as someone who works out uh, and sees the train tracks at richmond and piccadilly pretty regularly i get why we didn't want to have bus rapid transit running over that. Uh, I don't understand the West one, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, what conversations are to be had about perhaps getting that online so it does eventually go to St. Joe's and Masonville mm -hmm. Mall? Is that part of the way this looks in the future? Um, it hasn't come up at council yet. Um, you know, I don't know of any federal funding that we have lined up for that, unfortunately. And I think that would require a big investment from the feds or province. And right. I wonder how hesitant they might be given that um, we've turned it down once already. I would be very interested in that. Again, for example, I was in Toronto this weekend. I was able to walk out of the Airbnb I was staying at and just stand at the corner of, um, what was it, Shaw and uh, King. And within five minutes, there was a, um, it was a light rail transit, but there's also buses that came. Mm -hmm. I didn't even have to look at the schedule. I just walked out and, and I walked on and boom, yeah. I left. And it was within five or 10 minutes. So um, I think people will use it if it's there. If you build it, they will come. We've used that for every other kind of justification. We used it for the Budweiser. We used it for Covent Garden Market. If you build it, they will come. So I think if we build BRT, people will come. Yeah, uh, I think that, there's a conversation to be had about whether rail was a missed opportunity, but that is going way back and I don't want to get into that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but th th there are people in Kitchen that would tell you that rail was a missed opportunity for us. Yeah. Uh, there's the transit aspect of it. Uh, there's also the housing aspect of it, as you mentioned. So we're woefully short of housing and where that housing is is obviously going to come up as well. So how do we ensure that that housing is more towards where we've already developed? Mm -hmm. And that's also, to be clear, cheaper for the tax base. Way cheaper. Um, we've had really great discussions at planning and at council about approving infill. And it's not completely unanimous, but I think every single infill project that has come to us has passed. Maybe like... There might have been one or two, I'm trying to remember, that maybe didn't pass for, for other planning reasons. Yeah. But we are all on board for more housing and denser neighborhoods. So I think that has been really great to see just that, you know, almost unanimous support. Um, I know it's really tough for residents. and I do understand that change is really difficult. And a lot of people like their neighborhood, how it looks right now. But I promise you, having more neighbors and having, you know, more people that might make it viable for you to have like a little restaurant in your neighborhood, it's a good thing. And it might take 
a little while and you might have to live through some construction, which really sucks. So I empathize, but those things are good. Um, I think we are going to be looking at the five bedroom caps, which is that was very contentious. Um, so right now in London, if you're doing an additional residential unit, you can't have more than five bedrooms on the, the piece of property. So if you have, you know, three bedrooms upstairs, you can only have two downstairs and then therefore you can't do a third unit outside. Right. So we're going to be looking at that again, maybe not near campus neighborhoods because that's where you have the strongest um, concerns. But, you know, that was a uh, applied to the entire city. And that doesn't make sense in my ward. Why can't we have, you know, three bedrooms up top, one in, two in the basement and one outside? Yeah. Why not? You know? So why can you not do that in Lambeth? Why exactly. Can, you know, I, I get why yeah. on Broughdale, that may not be a great idea. Yeah. I understand that. But yeah, yeah other spots. In the city. Maybe we'll just do a draw a little circle around yeah. Broughdale and say, not here. <laughs> yeah. This specific street. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? You know, draw it around Fleming. Well, yeah. we have yeah. the pen out. Let's go around Fleming yeah. too. Not yeah. there. Yeah. So um, we're changing policies to make it easier for for individuals, residents who want to have like, you know, more income property. Um, but then also we're making it easier for developers. So I think, again, um, it, it meets both our needs. It meets climate change targets and it meets housing targets. So that's wonderful. Yeah. That's what we want, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, anything else that you want to make sure that folks know about or, or just uh, tell everyone to sort of get on their radars where we uh, wrap up our chat here about where we're at? I just want to, I think, remind people that any investment in the green economy is wonderful for the local economy because those are local people doing the job. So, for example, I'm doing about $10,000 worth of work. I have a loan for it because I don't have that kind of cash. Mm -hmm. um, but they're all local contractors. So I think I just want to reiterate any investment that we're making, you know, in BRT, those are local. Those are people, physical people from the southwestern Ontario area that are building infrastructure. Same with uh, building infill housing. So um, I just want to remind people that what's good for the environment is also good for the economy. Yeah, I, I think that there's some of that. I know that people will hear about, hey, let's, you know, do this green spending or whatever it is. And they get annoyed and they say, well, what's this going to mean for our economy? And what's the, what are the problems this is going to create? Or I don't want to get out of my car. For starters, it's going to mean good things for the economy. Secondly, no one says that you personally necessarily have to not drive a car anymore. I think that what we're talking about is just everyone should have options. Yeah. Non-car options. Exactly. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to sell your car tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And choice is a good thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I thought that we were pro everyone getting to do what they want. That's, yeah. That's, I, I thought that's what we were, yeah, we were talking about. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but so I, I think that some of this stuff gets uh, gets a bad rap because of that. I think that some of the narratives get hijacked a little bit, but I think it makes sense in a lot of cases to say, hey, maybe we could have a bike lane here instead of an extra lane of traffic. You would be correct. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, Skylar, thank you so much for coming in and having a conversation with us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. I love talking about climate change during bike month. Yeah, it is. It is, in fact, bike month. So uh, bike if you can. And uh, uh, well, if you can, it's, it's pretty hot, but it's going to cool down next week. So there, that, that's good. Uh, but uh, bike if you can. And we will uh, continue to... Uh, uh, talk about these issues and many other like it here on the Craig Needles podcast, which of course can be usually found on Tuesdays and Fridays at ClassicRock981.com and LondonNewsToday.ca. You can also, of course, find it uh, on your very favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening to, subscribing, and uh, rating and reviewing the Craig Needles podcast. We will catch up with you next week. The Craig Needles podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. 